5: Hello, everyone. It's Eves, checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good if I do say so myself. On with the show.
1: Welcome to this Day in History class. It's July 22nd. Selman Waxman was born on this day in 1888, and he's credited with the discovery of the antibiotic streptomycin, But there is some debate about whether that credit is completely deserved. Salman Waxman was born to a family of devout Jews near Kiev in what's now Ukraine, and his family moved to the United States to escape persecution. He became a United States citizen in 1916. After getting a PhD from the University of California at Berkeley, he returned to Rutgers University, where he had gotten some of his earlier degrees, where he became a professor of microbiology. He also became the head of the microbiology department when it was founded in 1940. And a lot of his work had to do with soil bacteriology. He started building on the work of a French biologist named René Dubois, who had found a bacterium in soil that attacked other bacteria. It specifically attacked the bacterium that caused pneumonia. So this thing that he had found in the soil had the potential to treat pneumonia. So Waxman and other colleagues started trying to look for other bacteria that could maybe attack other pathogens. A huge part of this work was done by one of his graduate students, a man named H. Boyd Woodruff. And there were about 50 other graduate students who were also part of this project over the years. This is a pretty common way of doing scientific research, with graduate students carrying out a lot of the labor They were painstakingly isolating microbes in the soil samples and then painstakingly testing them against a bunch of other specific pathogens with a lot of very detailed work. Woodruff found a bacterium that could kill and inhibit the growth of bacteria, and it was called Actinomyces antibioticus. But unfortunately, this bacterium was also harmful to pretty much everything else. It was not something you could actually give to a person to treat a disease because the bacterium itself would make them sicker. They kept looking, though, and two years later, they isolated another bacterium that was less toxic, but still toxic, still not quite where they wanted to be. Eventually, though, they found 20 or so different bacteria that could all fight infections, and they coined the name antibiotics to describe all of these. In 1944, Waxman and his team finally isolated streptomycin from Streptomyces griseus, which was also isolated by a graduate student. This one was named Albert Schatz. This was finally made into an actual drug through an agreement with Merck Pharmaceuticals. And this drug was colossally important. Tuberculosis is a devastating disease. At the time, it had no cure. It had no effective treatment. They were doing things like bundling people up with blankets and having them sleep out in the cold to treat tuberculosis. It was not actually an effective way to treat tuberculosis at all. The need for this drug was so great that Waxman actually renegotiated his whole deal with Merck Pharmaceuticals to allow other manufacturers to get access to the patent and to also make the drug. That was how much they needed to have an effective treatment for tuberculosis for the first time. But then in 1949, Albert Schatz sued Selman Waxman. He argued that this had been his discovery and not Waxman, and that Waxman had taken the credit from him on purpose. This fight got really, really ugly, with Waxman's legal team making false accusations against Albert Schatz, and the case was finally settled in 1950. This settlement led to the royalties being divided up differently. That's the royalties that people were paying to use that patent. 80% of the royalties went to Rutgers University, 10% to Selman Waxman, 3% to Albert Schatz, and then the remainder was divided among the other people who had been part of this project. Selman Waxman was awarded a Nobel Prize for all this in 1952, and although Albert Schatz was named in the speech, he was not named in the award it is still not completely clear exactly what happened here. It is extremely typical for graduate students to carry out a lot of work on their professor's projects. There's a whole debate that's a legitimate debate to be had about that system and whether it is just. Opinions are divided, though, about whether this specific case is just how it went in science programs and in graduate schools or whether Waxman really did do something wrong. You can learn more about this and all of the debate in the July 13th, 2017 episode of Stuff You Miss in History Class, and you can subscribe to the Stay in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Next time, we will take a look at a Cold War-era revolution.
0: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling... Is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Gene, Eugene, Fodor. Gene, was we'll it.
0: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with.
5: So you write the books, Gene, and vlastar on the business. I understand now. It is a wise man marries a wiser woman?
0: But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas.
3: Get down! <laughs>
0: In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest.
3: Where are you taking me?
0: Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale.
5: I don't know who got to Kennedy first
0: and the devastation those first bombs cost. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of the passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed.
2: smart and intellectual i'm kind of smart i think like it would be fun we have the best conversations like we have fun but then he would treat me like crap
3: listen to on purpose with jay shetty on the iheart radio app apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts trust me you won't want to miss this one
4: imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions i'm minnie driver
5: Welcome back to This Day in History class, where we reveal a new piece of history every day. The day was July 22nd, 1849. Emma Lazarus was born in New York City to parents Moses and Esther Lazarus. Emma would go on to become a successful author and advocate for Jewish people around the world. Emma had six siblings. Her family was wealthy from their business in Sugar Refinery, an industry that largely relied on the labor of enslaved people. Emma lived a comfortable life and had private tutors, and she learned to speak several languages. She began writing and translating poetry early on, and her father privately printed her first work in 1866. The next year, the collection Poems and Translations Written Between the Ages of 14 and 17 was printed commercially. This second edition got Emma a lot more attention, including that of writer Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson became Emma's mentor, and the two of them would correspond for years to come, though they did have a falling out over the course of their relationship. In 1871, Lazarus published a second volume of poetry called *Admetus* and Other Poems. The book includes her original poems and translations of works by other poets. Three years later, she published her only novel, which was based on Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's personal accounts of his life. Throughout the 1870s and 1880s, Emma published poems, a play in verse, translations, and essays. It was in the early 1880s when Lazarus took up the cause of denouncing anti-Semitism in her writing. She published Songs of a Semite, The Dance to Death and Other Poems, in which she celebrated her Jewish heritage. She also contributed to magazines like American Hebrew and The Century. Among other essays, she published Russian Christianity versus Modern Judaism, a response to a journalist who defended anti-Semitic pogroms. Anti-Semitism was spreading in Eastern Europe, and her work became controversial. In 1883, Emma traveled to England and France and met poets and writers like Robert Browning and William Morris. When she returned to the U.S. that year, she wrote the poem The New Colossus to help raise money for a pedestal for the Statue of Liberty, which France planned to give to the U.S. as a gift. In the poem, she imagined the statue as the Mother of Exiles, a character who says the following... Give me your tired, your poor Your huddled masses yearning to breathe free The wretched refuse of your teeming shore Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me I lift my lamp beside the golden door The poem was later engraved on a plaque and hung in the museum in the statue's pedestal. As Emma wrote more from her singular Jewish and American perspective, she began advocating for the creation of a Jewish homeland, before Zionism had gained a lot of ground. Emma was also active in advocating for Jewish refugees outside of her writing. She helped found the Hebrew Technical Institute of New York, which provided Jewish immigrants with vocational training. She also taught English at the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society and lamented the conditions of immigrants on Ward's Island. From 1885 to 1887, Emma traveled throughout Europe, during which time she became sick. She traveled as a way to regain her composure and strength after her father died, according to Emma's sister, Josephine. But by the time she got back to New York in 1887, her eyesight was poor, she lost hearing in one ear, and she had paralysis in her face. She died in November of 1887 at age 38, probably of Hodgkin's lymphoma. After she died, her family, who had not shared the same openness about their Jewish heritage nor been super comfortable with her activism, censored Emma's pro-Jewish and Zionist views in posthumous publications. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about Emma, you can check out the episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called Emma Lazarus. The link is in the description. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.
1: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.